0: All right, y'all, what is going on? This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts. Uh, today, Friday, uh, we have a sports day. Uh, I wanted to catch up on the top 25 in college football. We have a big day tomorrow. Uh, I'm also going to go over some action, some non-top 25 action from last night. also wanted to go over some conference predictions for the Big 12 and the SEC. Uh And also preview some of the top games, some of the the games, the top games, excuse me, from the top 25 for Saturday. I want to get into the NFL, uh, wrap up week one. I have a couple couple takeaways from week one. Also, we're going to preview week two with uh, Thursday Night Football. Uh, We're going to go over a little bit of news there in the NFL as well. And then uh, we're also going to be getting into some baseball. Uh, There is some news to go over uh, with the selection of the newest Hall of Fame. I also wanted to talk about Vlad Guerrero Jr. And I also wanted to get into the standings and talk about the wild card and talk about some scores last night that, uh, you know, that's helping to clear up that picture, at least for the wild card, also for the divisional standings as well. So uh, let's get into it, like I said, uh, with some college football. We're going to start off with the top 25, headed headed into the weekend. At number 25, we have Arizona State at 2-0, and at number 24, we have Auburn at 2-0. At number 23, we have Kentucky, also undefeated at 2-0. At number 22, we have BYU as well undefeated 2-0 we have UCF Central Florida here at number 21 2-0 as well at number 20 we have Coastal Carolina 2-0 at number 19 uh, we have a 2-0 Michigan team things start to get a little bit a little bit different when we get to number 16 we have a Wisconsin here that's ranked number 16 but they are 1-1 I don't know necessarily how to feel about that we also have a 1-1 Iowa State here at number 14 I don't know how to feel about that either. I think they could have dro- I think they should have dropped a little bit more, uh, just being that there's so many other teams undefeated right now. Um we'll have to just wait and see. Uh we also uh getting into the top ten on the outside, or just on the outside of the top ten, we do have UCLA here. Uh we have Notre Dame here at number 13. And we also have Florida here. Again, all these teams here are undefeated at 2-0. Um, and then at the top 10, we have, at number 10, we have Penn State at 2-0 as well. Cincinnati at number 9, 2-0. We have Ohio State, who is 1-1. Of course, I understand them still being top 10 away. They had a really, um, well, they had a, you know, it was a decisive loss to Oregon. But they still play well enough. And they've been top 10 for so long anyways. Uh, but, we also have another one and one team here at number five. We have Clemson. I kinda see why they would still be actually I don't see why they're still in the top five. Uh they lost to they lost to an unranked team. So well actually no no no. They lost to Georgia, a ranked team. Let me take that back. So I... but I, I still think at one and one, I don't know. It's 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 too early right now. Um in some lists you'll have Oregon at number four, Oklahoma at number three. Uh you'll have advice, you know. Well, some some uh, some lists will have Oklahoma at number three again. Oregon at number four. They're both two and zero. I found Oregon's win against Ohio, Ohio State on the road to be way more impressive. I thought that home. I thought that game was going to be at home. By the way, uh, but a great win from Oregon. I'm going to be going over that game in just a second. But uh, again, one of the highlights of the week. So in my opinion, I definitely think. Oregon had a much impressive win over Oklahoma. I would put them above them as of right now. And, of course, the top two in the nation, we have Georgia and Alabama, of course, both 2 and oh. So uh, let's move on. Uh, some of the biggest uh, changes within the top 25 is uh, we do have, well, we do have uh, Texas dropping out of the top 25, of course, Due to their loss to Arkansas, Arkansas arrives on the scene at number 18. Of course, uh, I keep telling you all about Texas. Overblown, over-proportioned you know, every year. This time they get blown out by Arkansas 40-14. Uh, BYU makes the scene as well. They had a big win over their rival Utah of the Pac-12. 26 to 17 last week, so they're going to ride that. Uh, they are definitely in a positive flight now since they've been added to the Big 12, so they're going to look to ride that momentum throughout the season. I also told you uh, to look out for USC as well, um, just as overrated as Texas. Every year they get blown out by somebody in the Pac 12. This time uh, they get blown out by Stanford, 48 to 28. It was so bad they had to they had to fire their head coach Scott Hilton. So. Again, look for some changes to be made at USC now that they're out of the top twenty five. Uh that does not mean that they can't win the Pac twelve South. It does not mean that they don't have the, the talent at least to maybe challenge for a Pac twelve title. But as of right now, it doesn't yeah, it, it it just doesn't look good as of right now. Uh but Moving on, uh, we have we have so much more to talk about. Uh, I wanted to get into uh, some of last night's action. Uh, we had two games, actually one game last night, not top 25. I also wanted to highlight a couple of the games coming on tonight. Uh, but last night we had uh, Louisiana taking out Ohio, not to be confused with Ohio State. We are talking about the Ohio Bobcats, uh, Louisiana, and not Louisiana State, LSU, but Louisiana, the Fighting Cages, get it done against the Ohio. Bobcats 49 to 14. Louisiana moves to 2 1 on the year. Ohio is 0 3. Unfortunately, for Louisiana, they were led by quarterback Levi Lewis, who would go 21 to 29, 212 yards, and also a touchdown. Running back Imani Bailey would have 89 yards on the ground. He was the team's leading rusher. But Montrell Johnson would have 84 yards on the ground and also four touchdowns. Uh, wide receiver Caleb Carter would be the team's leading receiver. He would have three total catches for 54 yards. And John Stevens at the receiver spot would have a, two receiving touchdowns. Ohio was held to just 250 total yards, of course, to 14 points. But Curtis Rourke did have a decent game. He will go 12 of 22 for 122 yards, and he would have two touchdowns. Uh, moving on to the action tonight, we have two games, uh, three solid teams, in my opinion, in action in total. I'm not too sure. I'm on the fence about i i think maryland is a solid team but i am on the fence about illinois but first off we have usc taking on uh you sorry louisville uh UC, ucf comes into this one two and zero, and louisville comes into this one one and one of course this is the opener for at least the opener for these two games in the these two teams excuse me in the american conference uh for ucf the, ucf they will be led by led on offense excuse me by quarterback dylan gabriel he's currently 11th in the nation in passing yards per game he's going to be uh, helped out by running back isaiah bowder bowser excuse me he's a transfer from northwestern university so we have some big 12 pedigree here he will look to share the load again he had 172 yards uh in the win versus boise state he would also have four touchdowns versus bethune cookman he's uh Currently, second in the nation in rushing touchdowns, Louisville will look to counter this on defense with linebackers C.J. Avery and also Kendrick Duncan Jr. Uh, they've allowed just 20 points this season. Offensively, uh, for the Cardinals, quarterback Cunningham uh, will lead the way. He's just he's only had just one interception in about 60 attempts at passing, and the Cardinals have scored 50, I believe, 54 points in just two two games. And UCF is coming into this one with just two turnovers so um, I think there's some some matchups that Louisville can take advantage of again both teams come to this one with decent quarterbacks um, I, I I do think that Central Florida has a better running game they have some solid receivers here um, defensively they're not gonna turn off they're not gonna make probably not gonna force too many turnovers but they pretty they pretty much play well in terms of the, the mindset of bend, don't break. So uh, they're not necessarily making a whole lot of turnovers, but they're not getting up a whole lot of points either. I Louisville hasn't played that bad defensively, but I also don't think they play played a team of any real caliber just yet. So I'm not to give the nod to UCF. Just seem to be the more balanced team. Uh, moving on, we have a Big Ten matchup. For Illinois and Maryland, this is Maryland's first Big Ten matchup of the year. Maryland comes into this one 2-0. and And for Illinois, they are uh, 1-2 and with that one win coming against Nebraska to start off the year. Um, just to kind of write this one down, uh, pretty much Maryland is somewhat of a balanced team. They could pass the ball pretty well. They're averaging about... 330 yards per game through the air almost about 200 games right 200 yards per game rushing for illinois uh their starting quarterback is coming back despite arthur Sitowski uh, he's pretty much been solid this whole way has six touchdowns so far only one interception he has had some issues with his accuracy so i i guess that's why they're looking to go with the incumbent here but um, they also won the ball pretty well. That the only problem with Illinois is that they are not that great of a defense right now, and they're giving up almost about 300 yards passing per, per game. So with Maryland be able, being able to pass the ball so well and being coupled with a decent enough running game, I'm going to have to give the give sorry <laughs> give Maryland the nod in this one. Uh, just again, too many weapons offensively. I think at the quarterback spot they're gonna be they're gonna be consistent. They're not gonna be starting somebody new. So I'm gonna have to go with Maryland in this one. Moving on to Saturday's action, we have a, like I said, two big top 25 matchups in my opinion. The first one being number one Alabama going into Gainesville, Florida to take on the uh, to take on the Gators, uh, who are ranked number 11. We just mentioned them a second ago. Uh, both teams two and 0. Of course, for Bama, this is their first trip to florida in ten seasons this is due to scheduling i don't know why this is the way don't ask me this is just how they've made their schedule this is the first time alabama will be going to the swamp as effectively known as in ten years that might play a factor uh they won their last matchup, 52 to 46 however in the conference championship game Uh, last week in their win versus mercer 48 to 14 48 to 14 Quarterback Bryce Young would throw for 227 yards and three touchdowns. He also passed uh, for 344 yards and four touchdowns in that blowout win over Miami. Uh, this will be his first start uh, on the road, however, this year. And uh, he will be helped out by Ohio State transfer wide receiver Jamison Williamson, who, averaged tr- who averages 22.4 yards per catch. So he definitely has some help out here. Of course, Alabama is still able to run the ball really well. Defensively, the Tide has only given up 150 rushing yards in just about, well, sorry, they've only given up 150 rushing yards in just one game in two seasons. So don't look to be able to run the ball on them. Uh, You're going to have to have some type of balance there or at least be able to, you know, dominate rushing the ball. Uh, Their best tackler, Will Anderson Jr., is questionable. So, again, having them there will be a big boost. Uh, for Florida, they're still averaging thirty-eight point five points per game and eight point one uh, yards per pass, despite missing not on Kendarius. Tony this season, uh, Kyle Pitts also left as well. Uh, again, they have a new starter here in Emory Jones, uh, but they—it seems to me that there there might be some dual, some sorry, some multi-quarterback action right now going on um, in this week's game with Anthony Richardson taking some snaps as well. He averages twenty-one yards. possession um and he also has uh 275 rushing yards on the year and he and so he has a couple i think he has a couple touchdowns as well and currently florida is actually um first in the nation in, in yards per game with 381 yards so they can pass the ball decently uh they seem to be relying on that rushing attack uh but the thing is alabama doesn't give up anything on the ground so uh something has to give Will it be Bama's defense? I don't think so. Um, It might be a close game. Eh, Relatively close enough. I have Alabama winning by two scores. Up next, we have uh, Auburn, undefeated at number 22 in the nation, taking on number 10 Penn State. Of course, uh, 2-0. This is the first Bay 10 road game that Auburn will be playing since 1931. Uh, they will be coming into this one led by quarterback Bo Nix, who's completing seventy four point four percent of his passes. He already has twelve touchdowns on a year. You can say what you want. One of my one of my favorite stats for a quarterback is his completion percentage. Can he can he make a pass? Uh, Bo Nix seems to be doing that in space this year. I think that will definitely go in uh, go in the Tigers' favor. Penn State uh, will be looking to run the ball. Uh, after gaining 240 yards and two touchdowns last week, uh, the Tigers, however, will only be giving up only give up about 23 yards per game on the ground as well. So again, just like with Alabama, something has got to give uh, Penn State is just eight and eight in these whiteout type of games. Uh, what I mean by that, this is a tra- tradition that they started uh, way back. I want to say since twenty 20, sorry, 2005, 2006, something like that. Man, this is you know big time home game everybody dresses in white it's supposed to be pandemonium like i said they're only eight and eight in these type types of games um being the higher ranked team i'm gonna have to say this is a trap game for penn state i like what auburn is able to do uh not only um do they have strong defensive stats against the run they also seem to run the ball very well on top of passing the ball uh on top of passing the ball with that being said uh, they haven't played somebody um, I would say in the top 25 just yet but I it's uh, Auburn this year I trust I feel like I trust Bo Nix on the road in a situation like this I don't want to you know sound too negative against Penn State but I don't think Penn State has played anybody played anybody great just yet either So it's a good chance to see where both teams are at. I'll say that. It's a good chance to see where both teams are at and uh, where their trajectory is going for the season. All right. Speaking of the SEC, you know, we had two uh, two teams we just brought up. Uh, Let's talk about some predictions for this conference. Now, my favorite, of course, going into this is going to be Alabama. Now, of course, they did lose quarterback Mac Jones, and they did lose their top running back in Najee Harris. They lost their best wide receivers in Jalen Waddle and also Devontae Smith. They also lost their starting tight end and also three offensive linemen, four offensive coaches, and, you know, multiple other members of the staff. Now, offensively, uh, there are two uh, receivers that are returning, including uh, Slade, uh, Slade Bolton. That have 20 or more receptions. So they do have. They still have talent there. They did recruit the nation's two top offensive tackles. And the, the, the next, sorry, the nation's second best offensive guard. Uh, now defensively. Uh, Alabama were bringing back linebackers. Christopher Allen. And we mentioned him before. Will Anderson. And uh, they were both top three in the conference. For tackles for loss. So again. Um, they're still bringing back. Enormous tons of talent. They already have a big win this this year so far against Miami. They will be tested against Florida, but I think after Florida, uh, I think things get a lot easier for them. And I think, you know, again, they'll pretty much be able to run the table until the conference championship game. Again, my favorite for the East would be Georgia. We already kind of know what they bring into the table. Really stout defense. My dark horse automatically is going to have to be Florida. Uh, Offensively, of course, we talked about who they're going to be led by. uh, Potentially this Saturday, quarterback Emory Jones. Um, They averaged 41.6 points per game last season in 11 conference games. Uh, They also had 41 plays last season at 30 yards plus. Um, But they're still doing solid this year, despite, like I said before, missing out with a lot, missing out on a lot of talent, particularly at receiver and of course Kyle Pitts. Pitts. Now defensively, the Gators uh, will look to improve uh, from allowing 30.8 points per game. They'll be bringing back defensive line starters Zachary Carter and Brandon Cox Jr. They'll also be bringing back linebackers uh, Muhammad Diabate and Ventrell Miller, who both combined for 157 tackles. Now the biggest issue defensively was gonna be in the secondary. They brought in two new uh, defensive assistants, uh, Wesley McGriff. Sorry, Wesley McGriff, to, t- uh, to coach the safeties and Jules uh, Monetrar He's going to be uh, coaching of the defensive backs. Now they do bring back all defense, all conference defensive defensive back Kyer Elam, and I'm bringing five-star recruit J- Jason Marshall at defensive back as well. They have a relatively easy schedule, again, after Alabama. uh, They already had two easy wins against Florida Athletic. Sorry, I'm about to say Athletic. I don't know why I want to say Athletic. Florida Atlantic and South Florida. Now, after Bama, it becomes pretty much a breeze, in my opinion, with favorable matchups almost every week before and after Georgia because, of course, Georgia is on their schedule as well. So they have two big games I feel, in Alabama and Georgia. But um, if they are able to get past them, um, they're going to have some really easy matchups. They're going to be facing off against Tennessee right after Alabama. Uh, They'll be uh, be facing off against Vanderbilt October the 9th. And they'll be facing off against Sanford, a team not even in the the FBS in November. And uh, they'll be finishing off the year, of course, against the garbage pile that I thought was going to be a sleeper in Florida State so and um, yeah yeah all back, all easy for them so I definitely think Florida has a case to not only win the conference title but even challenge for the college football playoff um, another dark course I have here is Texas A&M still a top 10 team right now uh, we'll have to see how you know how good they look deeper into the season a couple sleepers I do see here. And and for my sleepers, this doesn't necessarily have to be a team that I see winning the conference, but more so just having a much improved season. So uh, the three teams that I have here are Ole Miss, Auburn, of course. Uh, Auburn is a team that I could maybe say finishes second in the West. Maybe even might shock Mama. I mean, cause you never know. They they do it every now. and I mean, this might be the year. Um, as far as Arkansas is concerned, they already have a great win against Texas. Um, I don't think they are close to winning the SEC West just yet. But this is a seven to eight win team, which is better, which would be better than what they're used to. So uh, look out for that. As far as the Big Twelve is concerned, um, of course, my favorite here is going to be Oklahoma. Uh, they're good. They're big. You know, returning starter of Spencer Rattler. Uh, 15 touchdowns, two interceptions in his final seven games last year. Uh, he would end, he would end up finishing last season with over 3,000 yards, and he also had 28 touchdowns. He was rated the Big 12 newcomer of the year. Um, and helping out on offense would be NFL prospect running back uh, Kennedy Brooks. He did opt out, he did opt out of last season, uh, but he's averaging 7.5 yards per carry uh, in his career. Also, he also has 2,000 over 2,000 yards and also 15 touchdowns. Marvin Mims, Marvin Mims, and Theo Weaver uh, that will return, uh, and they also had 37 catches last season and were also returning their all Big 12 tight end Jeremiah Hall. So again, returning all types of great players offensively, uh, defensively, Oklahoma is bringing back four starters on the defensive line, Caleb Kelly also Leron Stokes, also Perry and Winfrey, and Isaiah Thomas. They also bring it back, All-American linebacker Nick Bonito. Uh, he also, like I said, uh, he did lead the country in uh, sorry, pressure rate on quarterbacks. He'd also uh, have 10.5 tackles for loss, 8 sacks, and 10 quarterback hurries. Uh, the Sooners will be expected to shine on special teams as well. They're going to be back their kicker, Grabe. Sorry, Gabe, uh, Burkett. He's an All Big Twelve kicker, and he also was a finalist for the Lou Rose Award, which for which is for the nation's best kicker. Um, as far as a dark horse or a sleeper, uh, the Big Twelve is pretty much wide open. Um, in my opinion, outside of Oklahoma, um, you do have Texas, who, despite the uh, win against, you know, you know Arkansas, excuse me, still has enough talent to possibly pull something off. Um, they'd have to beat Oklahoma in order to do so. Um but with that being said, uh, I'm not really sold on anybody outside of maybe Texas. I think Texas uh Texas Tech has a ways to go. Baylor also has a ways to go. Um Texas I mean TCU aka Texas Christian uh might always be in the mix because they do have the most consistent coaching staff uh, I like what Greg Patterson does there. So you might have to put him in, in the mix as maybe a sleeper. He, he'll probably have an improved season than what he's used to, um, you know, in terms of wins. Um, you do have Iowa State still in the mix. And, you know, but the really, I mean, in reality, to be honest with you, Texas and Iowa State losing early in the year like that kind of um, kind of put a chip in both of their sales for me. I don't. I'm not really as high on them. As I were going, as I was going into here, you already heard me before speaking about Texas being an overrated team. So um, I really can't. Uh, it's particularly for Texas. I really don't see them winning the Big Twelve now. I can see maybe Iowa State still, maybe shocking Oklahoma, but that's about it. But even the way that they played Iowa State with the turnovers and stuff like that. Um, with that being said, though, I will say this. The one positive thing I will say is despite the turnovers that Iowa State still had, offensively, offensively, if you look at the stats, they did still play a better game than Iowa. But that still says a lot, though, because if if Oklahoma comes in here with the defense that people have been saying that they got, which is much improved, uh, they've had years under Alice Grinch, they've been improving and improving, If that is the case, it's not going to mean much because Oklahoma's probably going to smash them anyway. So, again, I got Oklahoma as the favorite to win the Big 12. And, yeah, that's what we got. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and when I come back, I'll be breaking down some NFL action. Of course, we have Thursday Night Football. We have some news to go over as well. All right, y'all. I'll be right back. Oh, out when I step out, outside, I check dope, niggas sitting on buttons. The niggas hate them, but the girls want to fuck them. I came here took it off the block, hustling. Cup full of touch, and the paint look like honey. It keeps the bees buzzing. I while gang, you know how we do it. I've been had these jeans on for about a week, cousin. <laughs> in and out of lane, me and my little cousin. Put blood on my hands, I wash it off with nothing. I've been out trappin' with dope for the dope, bitch. I'm up for a brother. for my cup, smoking on God's gifts You niggas got dope, but you ain't got this Sitting on board with the custom lips Bitch, I'm dope i I'm high, so high I'm getting money, check out alright you All right, y'all, we are back And I'm sure to pretty much a lot of Not to a lot of people's surprises But there are Some struggles going on in Jacksonville. Of course, they hired uh, their new head coach, um, Urban Meyer, of NFL, I'm sorry, college football fame. Now, there's more going on with the story than just their week one loss to divisional rival Houston. Now, there's been disagreements uh, with the coaching staff on protocol, basically practice, and how to carry a team, and, you know, the functions, and uh, this is a lot to do with uh, a lot of the staff having uh, virtually all NFL or all college experiences. So and this is what you have, this dichotomy going on with the coaching staff where some coaches want to run it like it's a college team still. And some NFL coaches, uh, they want to run a type NFL ship, you know. And I, I do think there's a chance for um, some type of uh, even you know even-kill situation if both sides decide to open up their mind a little bit. Uh, Urban Meyer has also not made things better by uh, with his emotional uh, outburst and uh, going after players and coaches. And one source is saying he has everyone looking over their shoulders. He becomes unhinged way too easily and doesn't know how to handle losing even in the preseason. Now the preseason, not to say this is not. Not that important, but it's not that important. <laughs> um, it's not something that you you know you base your whole season on. There's plenty of teams that go winless that I've seen go winless through the preseason and actually have a great postseason. There's plenty of teams that have had a great preseason have had a terrible season. Um, so that has that has no barometer on your your regular season. He loses. Uh, he loses, he loses it, and wants to take over the drills himself. Himself, it's not good. Again, this is according to a source. They never tell you who it is. So that's just how they. That's just how they put it. It's a source close to the team. You know this, that, and the other, whatever. But apparently, he gets mad. He wants to take over all the practices. He doesn't know how to micromanage, and he has anger issues. Um, I think part of it is is being the fact that he doesn't have as much experience, so he feels naturally that he doesn't have that much control being that he's not the smartest guy in the room usually in college uh whether it be ohio state florida i think he also coached at utah and also he got his coaching career started at bowling green i remember uh watching him as far back as then he always seemed to be the smartest guy in the room and uh he knew exactly what he was doing or knew exactly how he wanted to run his offense and the problem is this offense might not run the way he wants it to directly in this NFL landscape. Uh this is another quote here that I think makes a lot of sense. You can't freak out uh you cannot you can't freak out about preseason games and belittle your coaches on a staff you hand picked every time things don't go your way. It's not going to work here. So um that's kind of how people are saying it right now i might give it a few i mean i might give it some time i think he gives it a full season um there's a lot of speculation that's so crazy now you know with uh usc opening up their uh their head coaching position i just heard randomly yesterday that he might be trying to sneak out of there and and go there and go back to the uh go back to college like nick saban did and ii petrino did um You can't really say that until he does it. I'm not going to make that assumption, so in my opinion, it would not be fair. Uh, But, you know, he definitely has some shortcomings as an NFL coach, but that does not mean he can't get better. This is just his first year. If he gives it time, um, then he should be okay. But I don't think uh, one of his brightest decisions, well, I think one of his non-brightest decisions was letting go off offensive ca- uh, tackle Cam Robinson. He refused to franchise uh, franchise tag him, so he doesn't have a really prominent O-line right now. And, um, you know, your boy Trevor Lawrence looks like he might struggle for a while, and that's not a good thing. Um, they, didn't, they didn't help him out in the draft. They went ahead and got his buddy from Clemson, Travis ATN who won't even be playing this year. Um, but he didn't get any old line help. And I think that's uh, unfortunate because they have decent receivers. They also had a decent running back, too, that they got rid of. So um, not, not a smart look on their part, at least on Urban Myers' part. Um, again, he's still learning. But, you know, so much more he can do. And before I get into last night, I want to say my big takeaway from week one was the Raider game. Um, I personally thought that they played um, the best game of the week. Go off to what anybody might say. Um, At first, I was a little bit um, crucial, not so much crucial of the of the game, uh, but a little bit um, critical, only because uh, Baltimore had so many holes that they were missing out on. Uh, They did not have their starting running back um, J.K. Dobbins. They didn't have Gus Edwards. Um, I thought I didn't think it would be necessarily easy uh, win for the Raiders. But, you know, again, kind of how it, it went, you know, just, oh, man, just, they just seem to do a lot to my heart, that being the Raiders. But in this one, Lamar Jackson would do his thing 19-30, in this one, 200 to 235 yards to the air, excuse me. Uh, he would have a passing touchdown. He would have 86 yards on the ground. Tyson Williams um getting getting the t- getting carries, getting carries now that uh, you know, uh Dobbins and Edwards aren't there. Sixty-five yards on the ground from him, he would have a touchdown. Latavius Murray, he was activated for this one. Uh he seemed to have come along nicely. He seems to have come along nicely. Uh, he was able to get a touchdown on the ground for the Ravens. Sammy Watkins was active as well with four catches and 96 yards. And Marquise Brown would do his thing with six total catches and 69 yards and a touchdown. Uh, defensively for the Ravens, they were led by def- sorry uh, linebacker Patrick Queen. He would have nine total tackles and a sack. And defensive back Anthony Averitt would have seven total tackles and an INT, so a pretty decent game all around for the Ravens. Of course, it just kind of game came down to the overtime period, which I will get to in a second. Um, offensively, for the Raiders, they were led by Derek Carr, of course, going 34 of 56. He would have uh, 435 yards. He would throw two touchdown passes, but he would have an interception. Uh, Josh, uh, Josh Jacobs would have 34, just 34 yards on the ground. He would have two touchdowns, however. There is some concern about him. He did seem a little bit hurt uh, in the second half of that game. Darren Rawler, of course, uh, number one receiver for the Raiders, for better or worse. 10 receptions from him, 105 yards. He would have a touchdown. Uh, Zay Jones would have 46 total yards receiving and of course the game winner in overtime and Henry Ruggs would just have two catches for 46 yards exactly the same as Zay Jones without the game winner defensively uh, for the Raiders uh, linebacker Denzel Perriman would have 10 total tackles Uh, Max Crosby would have six total tackles and two sacks and Carl Nassib would come up big in the overtime period Um, pretty much uh, yeah come up big in that overtime period with a forced fumble and a sack now Let's get into um, kind of the highlights of the game. Of course, Baltimore will go up. I believe it was like 14 a zip. Um, they would maintain that lead for a good minute, but in the second half, of course, the Raiders would cut down on that. Uh, the Ravens seem to have pulled away with a last-second field goal, um, and um, it, I, I thought the game was over at that point, but the Raiders have one last shot. They drive down the, drive down the field. They sink a 55-yard sorry, game-tying field goal. That was crazy. It goes to overtime. Uh, The first possession, you almost think we had it won. Apparently, he was, uh, I believe it was our back. Or maybe one of our receivers. I can't remember the play exactly, but they were stopped at the one. Could have been game over, but they were stopped at the one. Um, Unfortunately, we couldn't score right then and there. Um, uh, That sucks. Uh, Just kind of how that sequence went. I almost thought that John almost cost us the game. Uh, Pretty much uh, had us burn a play. Uh, with that penalty and I don't necessarily blame the rookie for that you know you, you can't bring somebody who's new into the fold and new into those situations he hasn't played situational ball yet and by situational ball meaning you know game you know actual game time in a regular season game so um, until you know all that till you you know you experience the, experience the cadences and all that I can't necessarily blame Leatherwood for that play I, I, it's the quarterback on that one and then, of course, you know, we have the interception in the end zone. Terrible pass, really. No real awareness. Somebody could have definitely tried to have uh, maybe make another player receiver and said, oh, if the ball's over there, let me see if I can make a play and make a jump, you know, it's something. It just seemed like everybody was just looking. And uh, Baltimore takes that. Almost felt like the game was lost there. But, like I said, uh, a lot of people are going to say, you know, good and bad things about him. People are going to be uh, using this guy for all types of agendas. Uh, but. You know, in my opinion, if we're going to talk talk about football, uh, Carl Nassib made one of the plays of the game defensively, and I'm gonna keep it football because that's what it is here. Um, I'm not here to speak negatively on him. I'm not here to. Uh, Cloud chase or anything like that. The man played a, a damn well. He, that play in itself was a good play, good football play, and that helps seal, seal the game defensively. It led to that final possession, in which uh, Derek Carr just seems to, out of nowhere finds A. Jones. Uh, Baltimore was napping. So again, good play by Carl Nassib. Um, no, no agenda there. Just good play. <laughs> and, um, you know, overall, I think uh, the Raiders proved a lot because uh, had they would have lost that game, which it kind of looked like they could have done, it would have just been same old Raiders, same old this. And it's good to pull out a win like that. that way you, you know, you definitely had to earn it. There's a lot of things that could have gone wrong. Uh, some more news uh, before I get into some Thursday Night Football. Uh, we do have an injury report. Uh, coming out of San Francisco, we have a few injuries here. Running back Raheem Mostert, uh, he will be missing some time. Uh, he has a he has some chip cartilage, I believe that will be in his knee. He will miss up to eight weeks. He will require surgery. Um, as far as uh, defense is concerned, they will be missing out on Jason Verrett again for the entire season. Torn ACL for him. Uh, for the Lions, defensive back Jeff Acuna, Jeff Akuda, excuse me, ruptured his Achilles tendon. He will be out for the season. In Washington, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, hurt his hip he'll be out six to eight weeks and in uh, New York for the Jets left tackle Makai Becton he did dislocate his knee and he'll be out four to six weeks so some significant injuries for some of these teams Uh, we'll see how how things shape up for them now moving on uh, before I let you go guys go on the NFL hype Uh, like I said we had some Thursday night football to start off the week and NFC East matchup the Washington football team get it done against the Giants, New York Giants, uh, to go 1-1 one one on the year. Uh, the final score here was 30-29. to 29. The Giants dropped to 0-2. For the Giants on offense, they were led by Daniel Jones. He'd go 20, a 32 under center for 249 yards. He would throw a touchdown pass. He would be the team's leading rusher with 95, yard, 95 yards. He would have a touchdown on the ground as well. Shirley Shepard would be the team's leading receiver with 9 catches and 94 yards. And Darius Slayton would have a receiving touchdown. And on defense, the Giants were led by linebacker Blake Martinez. He would have 12 total tackles. And defensive back James Bradbury, he would have 7 total tackles. He would also have a sack as well for washington on offense they were led by quarterback taylor heineke 300 uh, sorry three uh 34 of 46 for him 34 of 46 passing for him 336 yards he would have two touchdowns and an interception antonio gibson would, be, would lead the way on the ground with 69 rushing yards jd mckissick would have a rushing touchdown uh terry McLaurin will be the team's leading receiver 11 receptions for him 107 yards and a touchdown, and Ricky Seals Jones would have a receiving touchdown as well. On defense, the Washington football team was led by defensive end Jonathan Allen. Six total tackles from him. He would also have a sack, and Kendall Fuller would have eight total tackles and a sack. And let me take that back for James Bradbury. He didn't record a sack. He got an interception. My bad. But a couple takeaways from this game. Um, Did the refs do something against the Giants? I don't know. Uh, both play, go, both teams played sloppy. Both teams had a chance to win the game. However, uh, Washington just happened to make the plays to get it done. Um, does Washington still look like the team to beat in the NFC East? Yeah, maybe. Um, Philly looks pretty good this season. Philly Philly looks pretty good so far as well. We'll have to see what happens in Week Two. Uh, we. So uh, we, I mean, we 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 know we're gonna pretty much get from Dallas um, decent quarterback play. If Dak, sh- I mean, if uh, Zeke can show up, they might win a few games. Um, you know, Washington played a you know a decent game for what it's worth. They did give up, up twenty nine points defensively. Uh, you think with that, uh, you think with that defensive front, you know, you get more pressure on Daniel Jones. Uh, but Saquon Barkley wasn't a factor. You can say that. Uh, but they did not do a good job covering Sterling Shepard. So, um, you know, so there's going to have to be some things that they do def- uh, defensively that being washed into, in my opinion, truly uh, win that division. All right, y'all. I'm going to take a, another quick break, my last break. And when I get back, I'll be going over some MLB news as well. All right, y'all. I'll be back. We're going to wrap this up. back y'all and i'm gonna wrap everything up today with some baseball news um and we're also going to go over the standings as well but like i said in in terms of the news uh we had the hall of fame induction ceremony last week one of the biggest headliners was Derek jeter of course second baseman of the new york of the new york yankees one of the greatest yankees of all time he's actually currently a ceo right now for the miami marlins he had a 20-year career uh that spanned it uh from 1995 to 2014. He was a Rookie of the Year in 1996, a 14-time All-Star, five-time World Series winner. He was an MVP of the World Series in 2000 against the Mets. He's also a five-time Gold Glove winner. Um, in terms of his hitting uh, stats, he has a 310 career average with 3,465 hits, 260 home runs, and also over 1,300 RBIs. Also being inducted was Larry Waltz. Larry Walker, um, big-time right fielder for the Rockies. He also played for the Expos out in Montreal and also the Cardinals in St. Louis. He's a 1997 National League MVP, a five-time All-Star, seven-time Gold Glove. He's also a three-time Silver Slugger Award winner. And he's also a three-time batting uh, batting champ in 1999, in 1990, 1998, 1999, and 2000. He led the league in home runs in two. Sorry, in uh, 1997 with 49 he's also one of 19 hitters to have a 300 average of 400 OP, opb and also a 500 slugging percentage with 5,000 plate appearances he's also one of three players to have uh, to place in the top 100 and run scored and top 100 and run saved defensively and only two other players to play the only two other players to do that were barry bonds and Willie Mays. so you know damn well uh, larry walker is a hall of famer up next, we have Ted Simmons. He's a catcher for the Cardinals, the Brewers, and the Braves. He also served in the MLB as a scout and a GM. Uh, he's an eight-time All-Star at the position. Uh, he had 2,472 career hits, 483 doubles, which I believe is top ten for catchers. He also had 1,389 RBIs as well. Again, he's one of he's known as one of the the top uh, hitting. Uh, catchers of all time right behind you would say probably Johnny bench maybe Yvonne Rodriguez um, he like I said he also uh, served as a front office exec for many years uh in the in major league baseball and finally we have Marvin Miller he'll pass away in 20 2012 but he's one of the first directors uh, executive directors of the the MLB players play uh, players association now this will be pretty much their union the players union he also negotiated the league's first collective bargaining agreement, increasing minimum salaries from $7,000 to $10,000. Now, average salaries were raised and under his watch from 19,000 in 1966 sorry 326,000 in 1982 he's also a factor in the Kurt Flood uh, situation now for those of you who may not know there was uh, pretty much a hall of famer uh, caliber player I know he was an all-star at the time Kurt Flood he played for the Cincinnati uh, sorry not Cincinnati but he played for the Reds at the time keep saying cincinnati but he wasn't the reds uh but he played for the cardinals and basically he wanted a new contract he wanted some type of free agency capabilities like you see today being able to maybe sign somewhere else or command a bigger salary and although the mlb was unsuccessful with his particular case he um under marvin miller um Players would get more rights, such as arbitration, um, in terms of salary or other disputes, and from uh, that was done between 1970 and 1973. And again, um, this would also help bring about, like I said, free agency, so players were able to sign wherever they wanted to based on what they were being paid or you know, spec- you know what their wants and needs might have been. And Miller would serve as an executive director until 1985. So again, this year you have three really good players. Um, you also have the one executive who really changed the game in a lot of different ways, um, who made it more fair for players, um, and it was also instrumental um, in what he did um, in terms. Well, in terms of what Marvin Miller did in terms of um, you know arbitration, allowing for arbitration, also collective bargaining, collective bargaining agreements, and really you know mobilizing the players' uh, union is something that um, will inspire all the things that you see today with the lockouts or um, even with the collective bargaining agreements that you see with players in the NFL today. This has all been inspired by that free agency. Again, um, he was not able to really help out Kurt Flood at the time because the managers, I'm sorry, the owners were just so you know staunch on their beliefs. But uh, as he kept working and kept working, like I said, he was able to allow for arbitration in cases. He was able to have able to allow players to argue for better contracts for themselves and give them better leverage in that. So, um, I definitely think that's something to look at and respect. Um, again, uh, we have the you know the big highlight, of course, is Derek Jeter. A lot of people are going to talk about that. My personal favorite player, of course, being added this year, uh, is Larry Walker. Um, I grew up watching him in the latter part of the '90s, so I got a chance to watch him um, just as a little kid. Also, had a lot of experience playing with him in backyard baseball. Him and Derek Jeter, of course. So they, I kind of both grew up with them. But Larry Walker, for some reason, I picked a whole lot more because I like people that. Well, I'll tell you the honest. I like people who hit home runs. So I used to pick like him and Pablo. I think it was Pablo Sanchez, and I just would be just beast on teams. But um, Larry Walker, um, really one of those. Um, Five tool guys that there was. If when you hear that in baseball, um, this is somebody who can field very well, he can base one pretty good. Um, he's also a hitter, he can hit for contact and for power. So, again, all those different things. Um, again, um, you, you can't beat it. And again, Ted Simmons doing what he did. On the field as a player and also as a GM and a scout, also worth uh, the nominations as well. And if you hear about Marvin Miller's story, um, it's just really like a heartfelt one. Him and Ted Simmons, because Ted Simmons, because they both were nominees for just many years and just kind of got uh, overlooked for, you know, for a myriad of different reasons. But um, for one, for Marvin Miller, he needed to control seventy-five percent of the vote as an executive uh, to get uh, to be an inductee and um it took like i said it took him upwards of 10 15 years for that to finally happen of him just constantly being um a finalist and just on that list and unfortunately he passed a few years ago but his accomplishments accomplishments will officially not go uh forgotten and finally in the MLB news right now in the MLB world um i know all my my fans know this but of course Vlad uh Guerrero Jr like father like son making his daddy proud um, he's doing big things. Um, he's going off. He currently leads the home run race right now, and he's out for a triple crown. Now he's uh, hitting 45 home runs. Uh, he got his 45th. Um, I believe it was Wednesday, if not Tuesday night, versus the Reds. He's now leading in that category. Of course, he also leads. Well, he's also near the lead in two other uh, triple crown categories. Um, he has a 318 average right now. And he's also four, RBI, four RBIs uh, away from taking the lead from Jose Abreu. He's currently had nine home runs in about 15 games, uh, 15, 16 games, something like that. Toronto is also on a tear right now. Uh, they've won about 14 of their last 15 games, something like that. Um, and now they're they have the top seed or the second seed right now. Uh, For the wild card if not the top seed right now and uh, their playoff um, Their chances of making the playoff have gone up to 70% as opposed to I believe it was like 6% like a few months ago And their T.O.P.S. is one of the highest in the league. Of course, they have a bunch of hitters on that team Uh, we talked about them Bo Bichet all those guys Um, uh, Currently their team their team OPS is one point zero four four so Vlad Guerrero I wouldn't be surprised if he especially if he's able to get his team to the playoffs. Um if he's not rated as an MVP. If he's not a candidate right now for MVP, I don't I don't know what to say. I'd be a little bit I honestly would be surprised. Um I mean because again, he's a triple threat candidate. That's a rare that's a rarity. He's on a team that's potentially going to go to the playoffs. There are a few games behind. They're probably not going to win a division, of course. It doesn't look like they're going to win a division, but um, they're definitely um, in a position where they could definitely go to the playoffs and potentially win a wild card game. And again, you know, once you're there, anything could happen. So speaking of which, speaking of the playoffs, speaking of the standings, uh, let's get into it with the standings. And, um, you know, there's been some changes over the past few weeks. And um yes, yeah, so much to say, but let's get into it with the American League in the East. We have the Rays on top still uh, 91 and 56, five and five in the last 10. They've still scored uh, the most runs in the American League. There's no top in that. I believe in all of baseball uh, behind them. We have the Blue Jays. Uh, we've talked about them highest team OPS in all of baseball, 82-64, eight and a half games back. We do have some time left in the season. They are hot. They've gone eight and two in their last 10, so there's no real telling where this team could really go. Um, I, I don't see them finishing with the win in the division, but they can definitely turn heads come playoff time. Right behind them, though, we do have the Red Sox, just a half game back from them in terms of the wild card, 83-65. and 65. Uh, New York is also a half game behind them in terms of the uh, the wild card as well and both of these teams are about eight and a half to nine games back from the league that being the Red Sox and the Yankees uh, from the Rays in terms of lead the division lead and uh, both the Red Sox and the Yankees have gone four and six in the last ten. However, uh, the Red Sox are coming off back-to-back Ws. And hey, Let's go to the Central, where things are a little bit easier to figure out. We have the Red, the White Sox, excuse me, on top, 83 and sixty-three, four and six in the last ten, back-to-back Ls. But the Indians are way too far behind, with eleven games back, three and seven in the last 10, 71 and seventy-three. It ain't looking too good for them. Uh, somehow, surprisingly, um, the Tigers are somehow in the mix. Kinda, sorta 70-77 and 77 is a record right now um, They've done a whole lot They've had some good juju going for them recently With Miguel Cabrera um, You know, getting his uh, home run Milestone, so I'm not gonna hate on them too much uh, They are in third right now though uh, We have the Royals here at 66-80 and 80. Uh, They recently just lost a series to the A's Two games to one uh, Good news for the A's to, to an extent, we'll get to them in a second of course, bad news for the raws but they were never involved in any type of race. Uh, we have the Twins here at 64 and 83, and that's the AL Central. Moving out west to where I live, we have the Astros still on top. They just uh, taken this division, and they've run with it since maybe June, July, something like this. They've been on this run for a while now. 86 and 60, 7 and 3 in the last 10 back-to-back Ws. A's coming off back-to-back Ws as well, 5 and 5 in the last 10. However, uh, seven games back uh, from the league. 79 and 67 there is some time left but i would say let's see what we can do about this wild card I, that's a, that's not even a given uh we have right behind us the mariners at 78 and 68 four and six in the last 10 we have the angels that's kind of pushed their way into this uh, wild card conversation as well, although they're uh definitely a few games back from us and the mariners um, 72 and 74, and of course, rounding things out in the West, we have the Rangers at 52 and 90. Sorry, 50, 54 and 92. Out in the National League, we have in the East the Braves on top, 76 and 68, 5 and 5 in the last 10. Uh, they are coming off back to back losses. Uh, behind them, we have the Phillies at 74 and 72. Three games back, 4 and 6 in the last 10, back to back W's, however. I don't see Philly, you know, you know, well, three games back is not bad. We'll see what happens. The Mets, seven, 72 and 75 for what it's worth. Um, Cohen has dogged his team. They've been in his doghouse, but they're kind of in this race. Five and a half games back, three losses in a row, however, three and seven in the last 10. I don't know how how much longer they have in the race. Uh, with the Marlins, there in four place, 60, 62 and 84. Nothing much to say about them. The Nationals 60 and 86. Uh out in the central division, of course, the Brewers been on top for the longest. 89 and 57, 7 and 3 in the last 10. But we have the rise of the Cardinals. 76 and 6. Sorry, 76 and 69. 12 and a half games back still, but they've just risen out of nowhere, kind of. Seven in the last seven they've won seven of the last ten uh games. Uh they five. They have a five-game winning streak right now. So they're in the mix definitely for a wild card. Although I think the divisional race has been called, the Mets are behind them, uh, 70, 76 and 71, three and seven are in, the last, in the last ten. Uh, we have the Cubs and the Pirates behind them. Uh, the Cubs are 68 and 81. The Pirates are 54 and 92. In the West, we have the Giants. We have the, they're at 95 and 52, eight and two in the last ten. The Dodgers are 94 and 53. One game back from them, 8-2 in the last 10, six wins in a row. They have the best run, um, I'm sorry, the run scored, you know, oh, they, have a, they have the best run differential. That's what I'm trying to say. The best run differential still in all the baseball, scoring a lot of runs. Their pitching staff is on fire. What can you say? At number three in the division, we have the Padres here, 76 and 70. Uh, They're 4 and 6 in their last 10. They're coming off back to back W's against the Giants. However, the Rockies are 68 and 78, the Diamondbacks are 47 and 99. Moving to the wild card, uh, the Blue Jays are 82 and 64, of course, in that top spot. Uh, we have the, the Red Sox here, 82 and 65. They're in the second spot. Of course, in the mix, we're going to have the Yankees. We also have the A's still somewhat in there. And we're going to have um, the Mariners as well. Again, with just, with just the way that the Blue Jays are playing, I don't see them giving up that first spot. We'll have to see what happens with Boston. They're playing. They're both playing good baseball right now. Again, the Yankees are playing hot too. So, again, at this point, I see an all AL East wildcard. Unfortunately, just un- unless the A's and the Mariners just get hot and don't lose a game, and maybe the A's might have a chance to challenge for the division. Still, I don't know. Uh, let's move off to the NL. We have the Dodgers here at 94 and 53. That's no question. The question is the second spot here. We have the Cardinals for right now at 76 and, and 79. I'm sorry, 76 and 69. Um, you know, But we do have the Reds right behind them at 76 and 61. We have the Padres here at 76-70. And And then if you want to really get into it, we do have the Phillies with an outside shot as well. And possibly even the Mets for now. Uh, But the season is coming to an end. It's really close. And these games do count. Let's look at some of the scores from last night. The Astros get it done against the Rangers 12-1. The Tigers get it done against the Rays. Sorry, the Rays get it done against the Tigers 5-2. The Cubs get blown out by the Phillies 17-8. The Phillies are a little bit hungry right now. The Orioles, they get to upset one of the of the Yankees. Three to two. Inconsequential since the the Orioles are going nowhere. Though, Uh, like I said, the Padres do get an upset against the Giants last night, seven to four. Uh, Of course, moving that record to seventy six and seventy for the Padres. Fernando Tatis Jr. gets a solo home run for them. Left fielder Tommy Pham and Manny Machado at the third base spot get two RBIs. Center fielder Trent Grisham gets an RBI as well. Pitcher Nabil uh, Chris Met gets the He's 3-1 in a year. He went four innings in yesterday's game. He gave up three hits, no earned runs. He also had a strikeout for the Giants. Evan Longoria will get a solo home run as well. Lamont Wade Jr. will get an RBI. Kevin Gaussman in the loss. He's currently 14 6. He will go for five innings, gave up eight hits, four earned runs. He also has seven strikeouts. Uh, we have the Angels getting a gun against the Chicago White Sox, nine to three. The A's getting it done against the Royals, seven to two. Uh, in this one, the, sorry, third baseman Josh Harrison gets two RBIs. So does left fielder Chad Pender. Mark Conha gets an RBI as well. And pitcher. Paul Blackburn gets the W, going one and two on the year. Uh, he went for five innings, two earned runs. He also had three strikeouts. Rounding out the action from last night, we get the Reds. They get a win against the Pirates, one to zip. All right, y'all, everything is wrapped up for today. My next episode, we're going over top 25 action in football, college football to be exact. We also got some NFL news to go over. As far as YouTube is concerned, we are working on the what's going on with Afghanistan History, politics, all that. You already know what it is. We got some YouTube work to catch up on as well. It's college football season. Oregon is coming off that big win against Ohio State. So I want to get into my Oregon project pretty soon. Look out for that. Look out for that. The history of Oregon football. And that's it. If you're looking to get in touch with me, I'll have my links available for you. If anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. One love. And I holla at all my people's later